Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're going to go to chapter number one, and we're going to read just a couple of verses there this evening, and we'll dive in here, our series of Second Peter, continuing in that for however many weeks that this may be. Second Peter chapter number one, and we're going to start with verse number three. Amen. There's nothing like coming to Wednesday night Bible study. Man, and just get down here on the floor with everybody. A certain level of comfort with that. Uh, a couple weekends ago, whenever I was in Texas and we were supposed to do sessions, they didn't have nothing setting out there, and they had something on the just a pulpit on the platform. And I asked, I asked Brother Nichols, I said, "Do you have anything else I could just kind of take down and get among them on the floor?" And he said, "Yeah, I think we do." And so everybody else used it too because I just, we're just talking, having a session. Man, I just want to be right here. This is where I want to be. And so it had a little Wednesday night Bible study feel to it. So it was nice. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's something about the epistles. When they write the epistles, <laughs> they, there is just so much wording that's tucked in just so little that... Uh, this is going to be our field of play. Two verses tonight. All right. And so I want to talk to you tonight about this. What's found in verse 3 and what's found in verse 4. Two main things. Number one, divine power and divine nature. Divine power and divine nature. Hallelujah. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, we love you. God, we're so appreciative, Lord Jesus, of you. God, we're appreciative, Lord Jesus, that you see us and you know us. God, every portion and every facet of our lives, God, that you're acquainted with. We want, Lord, to walk where you would have us to walk, to say what you would have us say, Lord, in this place. God, bring enlightenment, Lord, and revelation to our hearts and minds. Love the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated tonight. I know our children just got back to school. They might be tired. I don't know. But as is with Wednesdays, we'll try to be uh, aware and conscious of that 8.30 hour to be uh, for sure at least done by then. There are two elements at work in verse number 3 of Second Peter chapter 1 that lend to our benefit, that's beneficial to us, that is uh, helping us along. Number one, it's his divine power. And number two, our knowledge of him. Two things, his divine power and our knowledge of him. His divine power, according to the word of the Lord, and I will in certain elements be redundant tonight because I've got to drive this in our, in our hearts and minds. His divine power, according to the scripture, has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And with that being said, the divine power is not just something that operates on us, like the divine power of the holy, majestic God operating upon us. But this divine power is also something that can operate in us by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, or if you will, to be strengthened with power by His Spirit in the inner man. The might spoken of in the Scripture, or for our purposes, the power by His Spirit in the inner man is the Holy Ghost. 
That is the power or the Spirit of God in us is the Holy Ghost. Therefore, if you think of that, this divine power, God's divine power for that matter, that created all things, even the book of Genesis, with just words being spoken, God said, and thus it happened, it was so. That same divine power is capable of influence in our individual lives, in our inner man, when we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Did not Jesus say in the book of Acts to his disciples that ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you? And so when we talk about divine power, when Peter is talking about divine power, divine power isn't regulated to the Holy Ghost alone, but it's also not excused from it. Meaning this, it's not just the divine power of the Lord and the operation of creation, but it's the divine power that even lives inside of us. Amen. And so I think it's important tonight also to understand when we talk about divine power that there is no deficiency in the divine power. Amen. There's not like no lack in the divine power. Uh, It gives, as Peter says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. The writer of Colossians told us, speaking about being in God or in Him, we are complete in Him. There is no deficiency in him. And so the spirit that we've received, this Holy Ghost, this precious gift, this divine power that we have received is sufficient. It is enough. I don't have to have an add-on to the Holy Ghost, so to speak. Amen. Uh, It is sufficient. It's kind of like a seed of anything, but for our purposes, I'll just say it's kind of like the seed of a mighty oak tree. Within the seed, are all the characteristics, the materials, the branches, the leaves, the roots, the bark, all of that is encapsulated within the seed. Don't look like much. You don't look at a a seed and say, well, there's the bark or, or there's a branch. No, but all of that is encapsulated in the seed. And all that seed needs is a healthy environment in order to grow, to materialize all those things that's within the seed. And so the spirit that we have, this divine power that we have, it is sufficient, it is complete. But many times it needs a condition or an environment in our lives to grow and materialize everything that's all encapsulated into this spirit of God that we have received. Amen. Uh, Bruce Hurt, he said it a little bit like this. He said, just as a baby is born with all the quote-unquote equipment he needs for life, Amen. And only needs to grow. So the Christian has all that is needed and it remains then for him or her only to grow. But the important thing about this is our growth is not only dependent upon the divine power, but upon our knowledge of God or our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says... The Bible says in verse number 3, speaking of this knowledge, if you remember from last week, the knowledge spoken of in verse 3 is the same knowledge that we spoke of last week in verse number 2. It's an experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge that's not just information. It's a knowledge that you obtain by living it out, by trying it, by uh, experience. And so we have everything that pertains to life and godliness by the divine power, and by uh, experiential knowledge of living our lives in the spirit that we have received. There are some things that you won't know about God until you put the practices uh, to, to, to use in your personal life and your daily walk with God. Amen. And so the source of all of these benefits, all things that pertain to life and godliness, is His divine power. But here's what I want you to realize. A statement you need to see in your heart and mind tonight is this. It is given, these all things, it is given by divine power, but it reaches us by experiential knowledge. Meaning this, by living it out. God's given it to us by His power, but it doesn't come to fruition in our lives until we live it out. Amen. Until we live it out. It's a knowledge that begins, of course, with our initial experience of repenting, coming to the Lord, to an altar of prayer, or a seat, wherever you may be, and repenting into the Lord. All right, that's a grand experience that starts, but the experience that starts is never finished. It continues. 
to being baptized in Jesus' name, being filled with the Holy Ghost. It continues with daily sanctification of how we live our lives and we are separated unto God. So it's not just His power, but it's the experiencing His power on an everyday basis after that initial experience. And if you don't realize that, I want you to know you can experience divine power on a daily basis. Amen. Uh, not just through modes of repentance, which that's good to experience on a daily basis, but also in the different ways that His Spirit plays out in our life, amen, and helps us with our walk and our talk and the way that we condition ourselves. So here's the thing. If there is any lack, quote-unquote, because it's all things that pertains to the life of God, if there is any lack in the, quote-unquote, divine power of God, it's not the fault of the divine power. But the lack is in our experience, are not that experiential the experiential knowledge of God, living it out. The Bible says this in John 14 and verse 21. He that hath my commandments, Jesus says, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and notice this phrase, will manifest myself to him. He says, he that hath, my commandments, and keepeth them. In other words, as we know God, as we know him through experience, he will reveal himself to us. As we know him, hath his commandments, which is present tense, keepeth his commandments, which is guarding or holding on, holding fast to his commandments, he says, I will reveal myself to them. How? By that divine power, by the Holy Ghost that you have received. The Living Bible says it like this. As we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for life, living a godly life. Amen. It's given by divine power, but it's realized by our knowledge of experiencing God on a daily basis, by living for the Lord. It's one thing to have the first initial experience of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and it's another thing to live the life after you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, you won't lack anything if you not only had the experience, but you lived the life. Amen. And so uh, whenever he speaks of this, of life, you know, this is during an era in the writing of Second Peter. This is during a time in which, you know, a lot of people didn't live past the age of 30 in this day. Uh, there was a lot of uh, mortality at birth and, and infant and child mortality. And so uh, there a lot of people didn't survive beyond their 30s. And so this kind of gives a little bit more thrust to the matter that all things uh, that pertain to life and godliness would be given to them is very important because they held life very dear to them on a very natural level. But God wasn't just the source of their eternal life. He was the source of their human existence overall. Uh, but both, whenever we consider this, he is responsible both for the natural things of life and the spiritual aspects of life. They are both tied to his divine power. I mean, the earth, the grass, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, that all belongs to, to his divine power. But when we talk about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, and temperance, all of that belongs to his divine power too. Natural things and spiritual things but Peter has a laser focus in his book upon the spiritual things because uh, his focus is like this because his purpose for writing is he wants to contrast a godly life people that are impacted by the divine power and living it out in their life compared to these people he's going to speak of in chapter 2 that are ungodly, that are false teachers. Amen. And there is a link. There is an eternal life. He wants people to think about. There is an eternal life to think about that is beyond the grave. When these natural lives are over, there is an eternal life on the opposite side of the grave. And he wants the false teachers that are saying it doesn't matter. There isn't no eternal life. There isn't anything to look forward to. There isn't a rapture of the church. He wants to expose the false teachers because he wants to illustrate that the power and the benefits are in living out our lives according to our experience right now upon the earth. And the false teachers are saying, no, it really don't matter how you live your lives. He says, no, wait a minute. Yes, it does. He says, how you live your lives after you've had your experience is important because this is about all things that pertains to life. And that's just not the life between your birth and your death, but the life that is to come after the grave. 
All right, the light that has come after the grave. And so the Apostle Paul, when we look at Paul in comparison to Peter, Paul exposed some of this in a detailed manner when he wrote to Timothy. I got several scriptures right here because Paul is speaking some of the very same things that Peter is speaking. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 1, this is what Paul says. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which basically means you have no self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, Peter's just said that this divine power has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Paul comes along and said there is a people that have a form of godliness, but they have no connection to the power from which it came. Mm. Peter says he said godliness is a result of the divine power he said but there, Paul says there's a people that's saying we have a quote unquote appearance form of godliness but it has no attachment to divine power we're trying to walk the dog so to speak <laughs> we're trying to have the form without the power but we want everybody to think we got the power by trying to keep some semblance of the form of godliness but Peter says true godliness is attached to divine power and all things that pertain to it comes from that you, you, hallelujah whenever you begin to look at that list from in verse 1 to verse 5 in 2 Timothy 3 there are so many items there that point to lust or point to desire that point to wants whenever I read for shall be lovers of their own selves uh, there's a desire that's turned inward. Whenever I read that they are uh, incontinent or without self-control, there you are again, desire that has no bounds and no limits. Lust, if you will, lovers of pleasures, then more than lovers of God. There is lust, there you will. Desires and wants that is misplaced on other things rather than being God. Amen. But the Bible says, whenever we read our scriptures of three and four of, of Second Peter chapter number one, the Bible says we've been able to escape we've been able to escape amen even the lust and the corruption that is in this world that's due to lust by his divine power and by his divine nature we're capable of escaping that amen because of the holy ghost that lives inside of us we can escape it to a certain means by our day-to-day -day living and we will ultimately escape it if we have the spirit of christ when the trump sounds that will take us up out of this world yes now remember, these false teachers, we're talking in 2 Peter, an inside job compared to an outside job, which we looked in 1 Peter. This is an inside job. These false teachers were in the church. Peter, 2 Peter 2, 1 tells us, says that they even deny, and we'll probably hit this, I don't know how many times, even deny the Lord that bought them. And so Paul speaks of some people in Timothy, and I know that Peter perhaps has some of the same people in mind with this form of godliness. Let's say it like this. <clears throat> they were quote-unquote Christians, but they denied the power thereof. They denied the one who bought them. Here's something important to denote for our own personal lives. When we deny the divine power, the Spirit of God, the Lord who bought us, so to speak, Whenever we deny the divine power, it's when we fail to live out and obey the knowledge that we have of him in our everyday lives. When we deny him, it's whenever we take our knowledge and leave it as information and never put it to practice. That is one of the ways in which we can deny the Lord, even the one who bought us, by not practicing what we know. Someone say amen. 
The Bible continues to say in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 6, For of this sort are they which crept into houses and led captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. Look at 7, verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. That word knowledge is the same knowledge in verse 2, same knowledge in verse 3. Again, we're talking about a knowledge that is experienced, that's lived out. He said they're ever learning, but they're never living. They're ever learning, but they're never living it out. What does that mean? They know everything there is. They know everything there is about the plan of salvation, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and filling of the Holy Ghost. They know everything there is about sanctification, godly living, holiness. They know everything there is about but the disconnect is in the experiential. I'm butchering that every time I say it. But the knowledge that is experienced, that is lived out. So all things that pertain to life and godliness. We talk about godliness. For Rome, they considered that duty. The Roman Empire, they believed that godliness had to do with showing reverence and loyalty to the one whom it was due. But godliness in the Greek as it's defined in the Greek language, an attitude of one's life to live with a sense of God's presence and a desire motivated by love to be pleasing to him in all things we say, do, and think. Thomas Schreiner said it like this. He said, eternal life is not merely the experience of bliss, but also involves transformation. So that believers are morally perfected and made like God. Hence, believers should live in a godly way even now. Though perfection and godliness will not be ours until the day Christ returns. And what he's saying is this. He said, we know there's no way to be perfected in godliness until we're raptured as the church. We know that there is always going to be, if you will, some stains and tainted areas of our lives to a certain degree that we are fallible human beings. We live in flesh that this cannot be perfected until the day of the rapture. We talked about before how salvation is an uh, elastic word. You're saved when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but the whole saving of you, amen, does not happen until the rapture of the church. Likewise, with this perfectiveness, if you will, of godliness, it isn't finished until we're raptured but that doesn't mean it isn't worked on while we're walking on this earth (laughs) that doesn't mean it's not practiced while we walk up on this earth and so it's going to be perfected it's going to be completed at the rapture but that doesn't keep us from practicing godliness now and so here we have been given all things that pertain to life and to godliness by the divine power. And so what that means is this. If we have been given all of this for even godliness, then we should be able to live our lives with a sense of God's presence every day. We should be able to live our lives with a God consciousness every day. Amen. Because it's been given to us to be put to the test Amen. As we attempt to live out our life hmm, in agreement with what he desires, what he wants, huh? It should be an expression of our love to him. But the quip that you hear, some people say, I can't be godly. Well, you know, that's very true. But have you received the divine power? Have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost? If you've received that power then my question is, have you ever tried living according to what you've received? If that same power, without asking, could cause light to shine in a darkened world that was without form and void, didn't have to get permission, but the creative power was in the divine power, then if we have that power living inside of us, What can't you do in living your life for the Lord? Amen. I want to attempt to live for him with that God consciousness that I have. Now, remember, I know, beat it into the ground. So, his divine power has given us all things. You're all going to remember that before you leave, right? His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, the Bible says, the knowledge of 
him that have called us, that have called us, the scripture says, to glory and virtue. No, if you go backwards, just one verse to verse number two, grace and peace was multiplied unto us through knowledge as well. Grace and peace was multiplied to us through knowledge or living it out as well. If that be the case, which it is, as we put to test what we have mind knowledge of, when we experience what we have information of in our head, it's in that moment that that same knowledge of living it out helps then also, walk with me here, it helps then also to multiply grace and peace in our lives. So not only is godliness achieved by living it out, but a multiplication, according to verse 2, of grace and peace happens as we live it out. Oh, just put, put the pieces of the puzzle together. This is no surprise to me because moral, everybody say moral, moral transformation is based in grace and tied to grace. Watch me. Everybody thinks grace is this umbrella where you just do whatever you want to do. Moral transformation is tied to grace. Titus said in Titus 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Look at verse 12. This is a great scripture. Teaching us that. What's teaching? Grace is teaching. Teaching us that denying ungodliness. Grace is teaching me this. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this. Wait a minute. I'm not waiting then for transformation and rapture and then everything's going to be right. No, 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 no. Grace has taught me something. By me attempting to live my life according to the divine power that I have received, it's brought me to a place of godliness. Why? Because whenever I attempted to live that, when I attempted to live ex uh, experienced knowledge there, when I attempted to live that, grace and peace was multiplied in my life. And grace as a teacher then stands up and says, hey, wait a minute. Deny ungodliness. Live godly, righteously in this present. You know what it does? It stokes the fire of me doing what I attempted to do with the knowledge that God has given me by His Spirit. Amen. Amen. And so teach, he says, live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Look at verse 13. Looking for, <laughs> looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, this is totally going against what, what the false teachers of chapter 2 is going to talk about. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Do what you want to do because there is no appearing. Not according to this. It says you're going to live godly. Grace is going to teach you these things. It's going to teach you how to have a moral transformation in this present world because you're looking for a day that you're not going to be on this earth. You're looking for a day that you're going to go up. You're looking for a day for, from where you go from a moral transformation to a transformation from immortal, huh? from mortal to immortality, from corruptible to incorruptible. He says, look at that, verse 14, who gave himself, speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, zealous of good works. What's that mean? They're eager about it. Eager for good works. Someone say amen. But see, when we get to chapter 2, and I've got to go forward in order to, for you to understand one, number one. But in the chapter two, the false teachers, they lack, you're going to find, they lack morality. Mm -hmm. They lack morality. They rejected the promise of his coming. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Amen. But our Christian living, our Christian living should multiply grace and thus godliness in our lives. And not only that, it also affirms the catching away of the church because I'm not living for just the here and now, but for the there and then. Hmm. If you think in this life only you have hope, you're of all men most miserable, Scripture said. 
It's not just in this life, but it's in the life to come that we also have hope. And so the scripture says, he's done all of this, verse number two, hath called us to glory and virtue. The glory and virtue that we are called to is not our glory and virtue, but it's God's glory and virtue. As a matter of fact, most translators uh, would translate it, he has called us to his own glory and virtue, his own excellence, his own integrity. And for us to recognize the glory of the Lord, for a person, really someone that has no uh, bearings uh, to the church or to God, for them to recognize the glory of the Lord, it's apparent whenever they recognize his virtue. And what I mean by this, whenever we speak about virtue, when anything in nature fulfills its purpose, it has virtue. Whenever the sun comes out in the morning and it warms uh, the planet and uh, by photosynthesis, if you will, aids living things and plants to do their thing, it has virtue because it's fulfilled its purpose. You understand what I'm saying? And so God fulfilled one purpose through Jesus Christ. And Christ fulfilled a purpose through his work on the cross. And so due to glory and virtue, the Bible says in verse number four, come exceeding great and precious promises. Think about some of these exceeding great and precious promises that come by the glory and the virtue of the Lord because God sent his son and his son died on a cross. Think about it. The Holy Ghost, number one, that is an exceedingly great promise that's come to you by those by that virtue. The second coming of Christ would be another virtue that comes as a result of that. A new heaven and a new earth is another thing that comes then by virtue of that. The ability for us to have entrance into heaven someday comes by virtue of that. Someone say amen. Here's the deal though. Divine power, verse 4, speaks of the divine nature. We are made said, we've been given, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature by the divine power, the Holy Ghost, and are living out our knowledge of him in our everyday lives. So here is the purpose then. Here is the purpose of the promise, that we would have some type of moral transformation, not perfection, because we're never going to get there till rapture, but a moral transformation, striving to be like him. Mm-hmm. Striving to be like him, right? I mean, his spirit, his perfect spirit lives inside of a fallible human. But the more that we surrender to that spirit of the Holy Ghost, the more we will find characteristic traits of him in us. Someone say Amen. And see, so whenever Christ came, the divine took part of the human nature so that then the human could take part of the divine nature. Someone say amen. So here's Peter. He's going to get into later verses, perhaps next week. He's going to lay down the characteristic traits of the divine nature, the characteristic traits, if you will, of God that we may share, that we may be partakers of this divine nature in the verses that follow. But here is a sad reality today, folks. And that is, listen to me very clearly, some want to experience his divine power without assuming the traits of his divine nature. Mm -hmm. They want the divine power without having to be married to the divine nature. Listen to me. But this is the reality of that type of thinking. You will cheat yourself of his divine power if you reject his divine nature because his power is derived from his nature. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Someone say amen. Well, Brother McGee, how in the world? So the only reason that the, the power of the Holy Ghost is made available to you is because of the nature of who he is. Amen. And if you just want power and don't want nature, you can forget power because his power comes from who he is, his nature. Someone just shake their head and say amen. So we are partakers of the divine nature. Think of it. Just as if we were to go out, if we were to go out in, in, uh, what do you got growing in the vine wise out there in your backyard right now? You got blackberries out there, grapes or something? Yeah, both? Yeah. So if we were to go out there in Mike Penrod's backyard right now, the branches, those little stems coming off his vine 
are going to testify about the vine that they are connected to. Mm -hmm. The grape is going to indicate this is a grapevine that I'm connected to. The blackberries are going to testify that this is a blackberry vine that I am connected to. Someone say amen. Amen. (laughs) They are proving that they are partakers of the nature of the vine, whether it be grape or whether it be blackberry. That's how Jesus could admonish us in Scripture and say such things like, be holy for I am holy. Look at it. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, but as he which hath called you is holy. What? He that has called you is holy. That, that's who he is. That's his nature. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, which is basically not your talk, all manner of life. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. How in the, who does he think he is? Who does God think he is? Asking to me or admonishing me to be holy as he is holy. I tell you who he thinks he is. He thinks you're a partaker. He thinks you are a partaker of his divine nature because you've been empowered with his divine power. That you're, by your life, are just going to testify what you're connected to. Oh, someone say amen. It's not just in that. You can look at it through the means of love as well. First John 4 and verse number 12. The Bible says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. And we, verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. What is the scripture saying? Basically the same thing as be holy for I am holy. You know what God's saying? He's saying love or be loving because I am love. He's saying that's my nature. That's who who I am. And so whenever you have my divine power in you, amen, I have given you power then to become a partaker of my nature. Amen. And so if my nature is love, he says, then that should show up in your life. If my nature is holy, then that should show up in your life. If my nature is peaceable, then that should show up in your life. If my nature is long-suffering, then that should show up in your life. Why? You're really not doing anything but surrendering yourself. Amen. You're, (laughs) you know, that little bud over there thinks it's a grape, but honey, when the fruit comes forth, he knows that he's, he's experienced it. He's, he's a great for crying out loud. Here's what's important. And, and I, a man's being, I'm not talking about like human being, but a man's being, a man's existence, a man's being comes from his becoming. His being comes from his becoming. The fruit of the vine, it's discovered on the branch over there. Only because the life of the vine has been coming from the vine and the root continuously, has been continuously been fed into it. That little stem that has a grape on it didn't just get there. It got there because of the resources that come from the root and the vine is being fed to it. Its being comes from its becoming. There's that constant process of it being fed. You sever that little thing from the vine. You cut off the becoming, guess what you alter? Its being. Someone say amen. So by the promise of the Holy Ghost, we partake of the divine nature. This is what Scripture says as a result of this. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We receive divine power. and We transfer over and we partake of the divine nature. It provides an escape route from the corruption of this life and the life that is to come. Right now, we escape in part, but on Rapture Day, we're going to escape completely. We talk about corruption. We, when we talk about, when we talk about lust, as the Scripture speaks of here in verse number 4, in this world, these are normal things in our world. These are normal things in our world. Lust. Human desire, corruption is a normal thing because of lust and human desire in our world. But the divine nature 
allows us and provides us to raise above all of that and escape, not just as we live in this world, but in the day of rapture. And so here's the fact. We can exercise. We can exercise power right now to escape our natural tendencies, which is the lust, the human desires of this world, when we partake or rather participate in his divine nature. Warren Wiersbe said it like this, said it so good. I just want to talk to you just straight from his words. He says, nature determines appetite. He said, the pigs want slop. And the dog will even eat his own vomit. Peter will allude to that later in this this book. He said, but the sheep desires green pastures. Nature determines appetite. He said, nature also determines behavior. He says, an eagle flies because it has an eagle's nature. He says, a dolphin swims because that is the nature of the dolphin. He says, nature determines environment. He says, a squirrel climbs trees. Moles burrow underground. Trout swim in the water because their nature determines their environment. He said nature also determines association. He said lions travel in what's called prides. You know what that is? Other lions. Sheep travel in flocks. That's other sheep. Fish travel in schools. That's other schools. Nature determines environment. It determines appetite. It determines behavior. It determines environment. It determines association. We need to be partakers of the divine nature because having being a partaker of the divine nature is going to affect our desires. It's going to affect our behavior. It's going to affect our environment and it will affect who we hang around. Oh, yes. And this is not a derogatory statement. This is just a statement of the way it is. Corruption is in the world. All right? That's not anybody trying to throw a dart. That's just reading it as it is. Corruption is in the world. And so we live our everyday lives in the world, don't we? We live our everyday lives in the world, and corruption is in the world. And so we are constantly exposed to corruption because we live in a world wherein is corruption. But you, the divine nature is your escape. Uh-huh. The divine nature is your escape plan of living in the world but not being of the world. You take your nature from a different source. The, uh-huh. You hear what I'm saying? You take your nature and your pattern of life from a different source. You're in a world that's corruptible. You're in a world that's full of corruption. But you are a person, a child of God that's been filled with the Spirit of God that's enabled you to have the divine nature of God. And so though I'm in the world, I'm going to hew out of space and let there be a world within the world. Let there be a heavenly among the earthly. Let, oh, yes. Amen. And so whenever... Peter talks about corruption being the world. He says that stems from men's lust. Lust, a strong desire of any kind. That's what lust is. Could be good, could be bad. Most of the time when it's painted in Scripture, it's painted in a negative sense. That strong desire of any kind, it's usually in a negative sense. And so with this in mind, Peter, he emphasizes he emphasizes this problem that he's going to approach in, in chapter number two because the heretics, the false teachers in chapter number two, guess what is a major problem among them? Lust. Lust. He talks to them. Uh, I'm trying to just find a few verses of Scripture. He talks to them how they walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness. He will talk to them about how they... they Allure through the lusts of the flesh. He will talk to them about how they were walking after their own lust. So he's emphasizing a very dominant problem right here in the world. There's corruption. It's because of men's lust. And when we get to the false teachers, he said, these are people that are following their own desires. They're following their own pattern. He's going to even talk about how they have been entangled again in the pollutions or quote-unquote corruptions of the world. He says it had been better for them never to have known had they would to re-entangle themselves 
with the pollutions or the corruptions of the world. They're going to embrace it once again. So lust was majorly responsible for the corruption that's in the world. We know that. James tells us that. Not Brother James Malone, but he might have too at one time. But James chapter number 1 and verse 15, it says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Yeah. Our human desires cause a lot of the corruption in this world. Matter of fact, almost anything problematic that you find in the world, you can trace to a human desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But whenever we share the divine nature, and whenever I say we share the divine nature, I'm not talking that we're all gods now. You know, we're deity plus God. No. When we share in divine nature, I'm talking about sharing the quality, sharing the essence of who God is. The divine nature. Alexander McLaren said, you get it, speaking of the divine nature, you get it, if you will, by simple faith. He says, but you will not keep it unless you obey it. Look at several of these scriptures that I think points that out. That there needs to be not just a getting by simple face, but that experiential knowledge. Living it out. Ephesians 4.22. i got several verses of scripture right here. Just ride with me up there. I think Landon's up there, isn't he? Yeah. That ye put off concerning, Ephesians 4.22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. And it's talking about life, not a conversation. Of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. 1 John 2.16 and 17. These are verses that many know. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of what? Boom, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of his father, experiential knowledge, living it out, partaking of the divine nature. He that doeth the will of his father shall abide forever, while the world and the lust thereof pass away. First Peter 2.11, whenever we had our first Peter studies, First Peter series, rather. First Peter 2.11, he said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers, uh, the people that went to the, the, the rally just this past week and heard this up there. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers of pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against what? Man, that was hitting me hard whenever he was preaching that day. My wife probably heard me beside him. I already did the series on it. You know, but just that alone was just hit me over and over again. Abstain from fleshly lusts because what? They're warring against your soul. This is not just warring against your body or against your mind. Honey, this is to a, a much deeper degree here. They are warring against your soul. And that is nothing to be trifled with. Warn against your soul. Romans 13 and verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Divine nature. Huh? Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts. Almost sounds like a snake when lust is in the plural. <laughs> the lusts thereof. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That divine nature. Because whenever we're partakers of that, what is happening? The scripture tells us. It's telling us very plainly that we can escape the corruption in this world through lust. If you'll stand with me, I'll come to a close. I'll leave you with this. So we have divine power, divine nature. I know those were some waters to tread through. But I'm hoping I iterated and reiterated enough that you'll remember something. Divine power, divine nature. Two major components along with the experiential knowledge, the living it out. This is what Alexander McLaren said, and I'll close with this. He says, there have been plenty of men and women in all ages of the church. And they abound in this generation who will make no scruple of declaring that they possess a portion of his divine spirit and a spark of God in their souls. For our purposes, we'll call that the Holy Ghost. Well then, I say, here's the test. Bring it all to this. Does that life within you cast out your own evil desires? If it does, well. If it does not, 
The less you say about Christ in your hearts, the less likely you will be to become either a hypocrite or a self-deceiver. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. In other words, what he's saying, if you have the divine nature, but your life doesn't testify like the grape at the end of the vine of what it's connected to, he says, then you might not be connected to the divine nature. Call it an apple tree all day. If it's oranges on it, it might not be an apple tree. <laughs> you know, there's been a few things in my life that I've grabbed off of vines or trees that had the appearance that it was one thing, and I put it in my mouth. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> it had the form, but it wasn't connected to the source, the power that I thought it was connected to. Divine power divine nature amen let's go to the lord right now and let's pray father i come to you this evening god i'm thankful lord jesus for your word it is forever lord settled in heaven i pray oh lord settle it lord in our hearts god in our minds god it abideth forever i pray oh god help us lord to consider lord jesus just these two verses of scripture i pray oh lord i'm thankful god Lord, to have experienced that divine power. I'm thankful, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. But, Lord, I want that lived out, Lord, in my everyday life. And I want, Lord Jesus, to be a partaker, a fellowshipper, if you will, a communer, Lord Jesus, of that divine nature. God, so I can escape, Lord Jesus, the corruption of this world, Lord Jesus, through us. God, it will impact us, Lord, for our moral transformation. God, we will increase, Lord, in grace and peace. And grace will teach us to deny all and godliness all these things wrapped together lord are going to be beneficial to our lives while we live upon this earth and for sure for the lives that we live beyond this earth god i pray lord be with your people this week god strengthen them encourage them help them lord jesus to live lord in step god with the power that they have received from on high god and be lord jesus god what you would want and have for them to be in the name of jesus christ that i pray amen and amen the church say amen Hallelujah, before you leave. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.